It's great to gather in God's presence. It's great to open our hearts to God's Word. And I'm believing that Jesus is going to speak to you and that you are going to be strengthened and transformed by what you're about to hear. And it's going to speak to something fundamental in your life. I started a message and you can get it on delay. It's still up there. Last week called, I need you. And I'm continuing in that. And I want to say to you, I need you and you need me. We desperately need each other. We weren't created to live our lives in isolation. And we live in an age of hyper individualism. And while online church has been great, and I believe God's done something extraordinary and will continue to do it, it leaves people somewhat isolated. And we need to rediscover or reaffirm the importance of connection, of community, of what the Bible calls fellowship, kononia, that intimate connecting, the interweaving of lives. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 where he says, you are no longer strangers to God. That's good. No longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country. And listen to this. And you belong, you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Whether you follow a line, you may want to just put that in the text. I belong to God's household. I belong. This is longing within all of us to belong, to connect. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 does a whole thing about the human body and says it's similar to the body of Christ or the body of Christ is similar to the human body. So diverse, so many different uh, parts, so many different functions, but connected and each part significant. And so he says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, the church. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. He's speaking to the whole diversity of the Roman world at that time. But we have all been baptized, immersed, connected into one body by the Spirit. And in what he talks about through the rest of the chapter, which actually a child can follow the illustration. It's that simple, but it's that profound. He basically says there's two things that you cannot do. The first one, as a member of Christ's body, you cannot say, I am not needed. I am not significant. I don't have a role. You cannot say, I'm not needed. Listen to what he says here. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15 and following. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less. If the body aches, if we get a bit older, Michael and others, you're still connected. It still belongs. And he says, don't say, I'm not needed. You may feel unnoticed, but you still need it. The second thing is, he says, as members of Christ's body, you cannot turn to somebody else and say, I don't need you. So you can't say, I'm not needed, and you can't say, I don't need you. But I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And we get this as we compare the body of Christ to a human body. The minute things go missing, 
it's somewhat dysfunctional. We desperately need each other. In a very, very recent study completed by Oxford University, has indicated, I want you to hear this, 20% of people who've contracted COVID-19 have developed a psychiatric disorder within 90 days of the infection. Lifeline Australia CEO, John Brogdon said this about that study and those findings. He says, we're not surprised by that because undergoing quarantine period takes away two fundamental human needs, certainty and human contact. Certainty and human contact. Mr. Brogdon went on to say that he considered physical isolation felt by those in quarantine as a forced loneliness. But there are other things in our lives, in our society that quarantine us, that disconnect us from people. And that phrase of forced loneliness just sprung up. I thought there are people all over this country, all over the world. You might be watching from another part of the world and you feel like you're in this forced loneliness. It's been exacerbated by the whole COVID-19 epidemic that swept the world. But there are other reasons why people are living in kind of a forced loneliness. And God wants you connected. He wants you to belong to His household, connected to His body. I talked about last week that there were three things that I needed from you and you need from me. And I'm going to talk about three others. But just quickly, one, I need your forgiveness because I'm sure to offend you at some other point, (laughs) even if I don't intend to. And forgiveness releases God's grace into relationships and grace transforms. I need your example. I I need to watch how you walk with Jesus, how you face challenges, sickness or job loss or whatever else. And the example of your faith, of the wisdom that's outworked as you follow Jesus inspires me. I love connecting to people in our own church and listen to their stories. And just recently, Linda and I were having dinner with a couple and their story just bowled us over because you couldn't imagine looking at them, the incredibly difficult journey they'd been on, but they'd found Jesus at the center of it. And even as they shared it with us, it was inspiring. I need your example on how you followed Jesus. And I need your prayers. You need my prayers. Life is challenging. And I need people, you need people who will pray with you and impart God's strength into your situation. But today I want to talk about the fact that I need your gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, it says a spiritual gift is given to each one of us. The minute you are baptized into Christ's body, the minute you connect it, there is a gift that is within you or gifts imparted by Jesus, put there and inspired by the Holy Spirit. But listen to this, that spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. If you don't discover your spiritual gifts, if you don't begin to use them, and we're not talking about big noting, what has to be from the stage. So the most dynamic use of spiritual gifts are one-on-one in a small group that imparts something. And I need your spiritual gifts operating so that you can help me, so that you can help others. 
It's one of the reasons we do a thing called Growth Track, so you can connect to the life of the church and also find your gifts and find your place and discover in part why Jesus put you on the planet and connected you to a church family. You see, each gift, and I want you to get this picture, each gift is a manifestation of God's Holy Spirit in your life. There's something, there's some things I do that I've just learned to do. But I also know there's times when I start doing something that's part of the gift that God has put in me. And it's like Jesus is standing right there. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm doing it, but it's, it, it, it's not just me. And that's what happens when you begin to use your spiritual gifts. It releases, the Holy Spirit ignites something and it releases the presence of Jesus into that conversation, into that circumstance. And suddenly you realize Jesus is here, manifested in the midst of His people through the gift that you brought, the gift that you used. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, and I love this passage, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. You see, when each part doesn't do its own special work, there's something missing in the body. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Who wouldn't wanna be a part of a community, healthy, growing, full of love? But it only happens when each part does its share. I need your gifts, but I also need your encouragement. In 2 Corinthians 13, right at the end of what has been a really difficult letter that Paul has had to write to the Corinthians, there's a lot of jostling, there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of misunderstanding, and he's written to clarify. And we often think of the end of the book as our just, now, but what Paul actually does both at the beginning and at the end is crystallize the key thoughts that is woven throughout the book. And he says this, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Rejoice, change your ways, because he's talked to them a whole lot of stuff about behavior that's not good. He says, change your ways, encourage each other encourage each other, living in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. I wanna make three quick observations of what encouragement does in our lives. Unwarranted criticism demolishes people. And every one of you has experienced that. There may be a kernel of truth, but the way it's been done, what's been said, it may be totally untrue and somebody's just gone yet. And you can literally feel yourself being dismantled by their words, by their criticism. But encouragement builds people. It strengthens people. First Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Paul's kind of cheering the church on going, come on, do it some more, encourage some more. Criticize less, encourage more. Charles Swindle, a great author and pastor said this, discouraged people don't need critics. They hurt enough already. They don't need more guilt piled on distress. They need encouragement. And there are people listening to me right now. 
you need encouragement. And that's partly what I'm trying to do. And by the Spirit, God's gonna just do something in your life right now. He encourages you. But the one that kind of excites me the most is that encouragement releases destiny into people's life. God designed you to do extraordinary things and encouragement releases destiny. Joshua was the person who took over from Moses and it was an extraordinary thing. Moses was an astonishing leader, not a perfect one, but an astonishing one. And God says to Moses, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he will enter. You're not going to get into the promised land. He's going to enter the promised land. Encourage him for he will cause his people to inherit. Moses, you've done as much as you can. You've been a great leader. But the one who stands before you, this young man is going to do something that not you can't do. He's going to lead people. And what you need to do is encourage him. Make him believe that God's hands upon him. Make him believe that he's gifted. Make him believe that he's called. And I love encouraging people. I love encouraging our young people. And with a conviction, the belief, they will do greater things than I could ever imagine to do because of an impartation of encouragement, they will rise to fulfill their destiny. The third and final thing is I need your faith. I need your faith. Paul and his associates uh, in doing ministry had been through an extraordinarily difficult time. And I'm gonna to come to a key verse that just speaks so powerfully to it. They'd been beaten, they'd been jailed in Philippi. They'd been defamed. They'd been expelled from cities. They'd been hunted down. They'd been tormented. They'd been rejected by people who should have loved them. There is just so much going on. But he writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says this. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles. I've just talked what those troubles were. In the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. And there's something about somebody else's faith that is imparted to us, even in good times, but especially when we're struggling, when we've been suffering, when we've been going through something difficult, when something's happened that was just so out of the blue that has turned our world upside down. Seeing somebody else hanging on to Jesus, standing strong so is such a powerful thing. Don't underestimate the power of your faithful faith as you put your trust in Jesus. There's a story I love that I think captures this the most. Is Jesus is ministering and he's at his, Peter's mother-in-law's house ministering around the Sea of Galilee. And there are crowds everywhere. They're in the house, they're around the house. And there's a paralytic and his friends Say, we're going to get you healed. We're going to get you to Jesus. But they can't get in the house. Listen to this. They couldn't get near him because of the crowd. So they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, listen to that. When Jesus saw not his faith, their faith. 
And there's times in my life when I just need people who will rip a roof off to get me closer to Jesus, who will just say, no, you can do it. I'm standing with you. And when my faith is depleted, Jesus sees the faith of my friends and says, I'm going to do a miracle for you. And I believe there's people right now that that's exactly what God wants you to do. Get connected, have people of faith around you. And even if you feel your faith is fragile because you're a part of the body, because you're connected, because you're saying to these friends, I need you. Jesus says, sees your, their faith, not just your faith, and does a miracle for you. The greatest thing, of course, is you and I need Jesus. And to the church at Laodicea, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Don't get weird on me. Book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus. When the devil's doing things, what is God doing? That's one of the best ways you can read that book. And Jesus speaks to seven different churches in physical locations, but the message to each of them is eternal, it's for us. And he says to the church at Laodicea, you say I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiful, poor, naked, and blind. The the astonishing thing is Laodicea was known for a a rich black wool that was world-class. It was like famous for garments. They prided themselves in that. They had an eye solve that that healed uh, different conditions in eyes. So you can see Jesus speaking to this. In AD 60, the city had been flattened by an earthquake. And when Rome offered financial assistance, they said, we don't need it. We're rich enough to rebuild ourselves. And you can see this kind of arrogance. I don't need anything. We've got it all together. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. When I look at you, I see desperation. I see emptiness on the inside. I see something missing. You cannot say, I don't need you, Jesus. In this world of self-sufficiency that we all go for, we desperately need a Savior. And he has three reasons, simple reasons why you need Jesus. Only Christ can give real meaning to your life. You were created by God and for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, I love this verse. We are God's masterpiece. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You are God's masterpiece. And He created you brand new in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things that He planned for you to do long ago in eternity past. God thought of you, He knew you, and He planned for you. And there's a number of people this morning that really need you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are God's masterpiece. And as you connect your life to Jesus, His plan will begin to unfold in and through your life. The second thing is you need God's help every single day. And, you know, people are, well, faith is just a crutch. Well, if you're limping, get a crutch. And Jesus is not a crutch. He's a savior. He lifts you. He transforms you. But that dependency where God begins to download His wisdom, His strength into your life, in everyday situations. In Hebrews 13, it says, God has said, and I want you to catch this, God has said, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
And because God has said that, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. Because God has said He'll never leave you. No matter what circumstance you're facing, He's got wisdom, He's got strength. Because God has said that, you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. And finally, you need Christ for eternity. You don't want to face God on judgment day by yourself. I know it's a big topic, but it's appointed unto man once to die, the Bible says, and then the judgment. We have to give an account for the life, the gift of life and opportunity that God has given us. And you don't want to stand there alone. You want to stand there with Jesus. And Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge them. I will own them before my Father in heaven.